0: Ollie Busby thought about getting revenge on Melvin Rainey. You heard her words just briefly. She wanted to get revenge because Melvin had hurt her family very, very badly. Her story is written in a book. It has been seen on TV. It's been reported in the news. Her story is not a new story. That's getting revenge. You see, all of us know what that's like. I want vengeance. I don't like what's been done to me. I don't like what's been said. I don't like what's happened. I want vengeance. And you heard her niece. said, Aunt Polly, you didn't... You didn't real you're not really going to do that, are you? To return in like. Shoot him. If you were here for the first video, some of you are probably thinking, what's that video for? NASCAR racing. But if you watched it, you saw Danica Patrick. And you saw her eventually take revenge on a fellow driver who bumped her car earlier in the race. And if you watched it, you saw her. You saw her hit the wall with her car. And as Matt called attention, the people in the pits talking to her, they knew what she did was not right. And if you listened, her words were, the bummer, She said, the bummer is, I was running a good race. But now I'm out of the race, and he's still in the race. You see, we think vengeance is a sweet thing. You hurt my child, I'm hurting yours. You say something bad about me or do something I don't like, I'm going to say something bad about you. I'm going to do something you won't like. The bummer is, vengeance always hurts the person who takes the revenge. And we're, we're sort of like stupid people. Because we have illustration after illustration of people who show vengeance, but we don't learn. Vengeance is not to be a part of who we are. Christ is Lord. He seeks to change. And today, we're going to look at vengeance taking place toward Jesus Christ as Lord. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open them to the Gospel of Luke, the 23rd chapter. The Gospel of Luke, the 23rd chapter. Okay? And if you've got the New Testament, those... New Testaments, it's page 74, and I would encourage you, there's New Testaments across the hallway right here in that room as you step out this door, and those New Testaments are for you to take and bring back and use and mark up and just follow along. It will be more meaningful. Now look, what do I know? What do I know? It will be more meaningful to you if you will look at the words, not on the screen, but in a book. If you will engage yourself with those words by circling them, marking them, if you then will go home and sometime this week reread those words with the notes you take in the worship handout. It will become more meaningful you, more meaningful to you and for you. Some of you will listen during this sermon and you will say, You've already heard through the introduction. Hey, yeah, you know, I've thought about that vengeance, or I've practiced vengeance. And God's Spirit is speaking to you, but you'll get away from here and you'll forget this. But if you rethink it this week, it'll have more impact, a more lasting impact upon you. God wants to make you a new person as you follow Jesus Christ as Lord, but you've got to pay attention to the ways God does that. He tells us we are to be in an experience like this within a couple generations after Christ had left the earth, really within one generation, about 30 to 40 years, Christians were saying, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be with other Christians. And the Bible tells us the encouragement is don't neglect this kind of experience because you need the encouragement. And the Bible tells us we need to, we need to read it because we need the encouragement the Bible tells us we need to talk with other people who know Christ because we need encouragement. The Bible says that prosperity comes to God's people. Now listen, prosperity doesn't mean you get rich necessarily, though some of you, you're never going to have enough money because you refuse, you refuse to do a process of controlling your money. But the Bible says prosperity in the life of a person of God comes through meditation of God's Word. That's why I say later this week, you reread the passage that we talk about in Luke, you look over your notes, and you let God re-speak to you as I hope He does today. Of course, some of us adults will be just like our children and our grandchildren. We will... Listen or not listen. I want to encourage you because vengeance is what we're going to talk about. And vengeance is a terrible thing in the human experience. But before we get into that, let me also call attention to your worship handout, the center inside page. It talks about the 430 worship experience and I'm so excited. You need to read that. There are people who are volunteering to make that environment a good environment. And you can see we need some more people. And if you look at that, down near the last half of the page, the first bold print says the more we choose something, the more we become that something. And that's true. You you choose to make... Being with God's people and hearing God's Word a regular part of your life, and all of a sudden, God will start bringing change into your life. You choose something, and you become that something. Okay? You choose something. And if connection chooses to create an environment at 4.30, in a year, two years, we're going to see that we become something even at 4.30 like we are at 10 o'clock. And the next Bode Prince says, God does not call us to a life of ease, but to faithful service. It doesn't do any good. Matter of fact, one of the things that's noticed in the new church movement that's happening in America and really across the world that's called missional, is that people who attend those churches are asked to make a commitment to get involved, to do something. Where in the traditional church, We're just happy you come, sit in the pew, and drop your money in the plate. Totally different thing. Missional churches aren't even talking about money. But they talk about, will you do something to create God's glorious church? Will you give yourself? God doesn't call us to a life of ease. He calls us to a life of faithful service. And some of you, you're missing out. And you keep complaining. And the whole world knows you complain because you tell the whole world, It's because you want the ease and not the faithful service. It just won't work that way. And then that last bold print, He, God, is seeking to push you in the direction He wants. That's why when I get up here, that's what He's doing. Some of you say, oh, just Mike Davis trying to create his own little group. Well, you have to decide that. You've got to get to know me and decide if that's true or do I sacrifice myself also for you for what God is doing in a church called Connection. But He is pushing you. He pushes you in the direction He wants you to go. Now before we get into the Scriptures though, this is the end of the month. And today we're going to take an offering. A gift is what we're going to take. It's not an offering for the church. We're going to pass some popcorn bags. Uh, there's an article in here you can read later about Touch Someone's Life. We take collect on the End of the month, what we call a touch someone's life gift. We're going to pass these popcorn bags. You want to put money in there? You can. Uh, at the end of the worship, uh, the lead team will bring those bags back to me, and I'll ask somebody to come, and I'll give that money to somebody. I'll give that bag to somebody here today. It's not for you. It's for you to take this week and give to somebody. Just give to somebody. It's our way of saying, the money isn't all for us. The money is for God to use. And we just let this go. Somebody says, you're not controlling it. How do you know what that person's going to do? Well, we ask them to just give us a little story. And you can see two of the stories there and, uh, of what happened when they gave it away. But uh, if you want to give, I invite you to give. Connection has been very faithful. We've given, I think, over $7,000 since we started this just a little bit over a year ago. And uh, people have given regular. I would say if you're new to Connection, don't give. Just watch the Connection people. We don't want you to come. If you read the back page, we're not wanting your money. We want you to be encountered by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you just watch the Connection people as they can give. And some Sundays, some of Connection people aren't able to give. But I want to encourage you. So if the lead team would come and take your places, appreciate that, okay? Come on and take your places and let's begin passing the bags. Okay? Okay? There you go. And you just pass the bag on by when it comes. Okay, I want you to join with me looking there at Luke 23, Okay, beginning with verse 1. Luke 23, beginning with verse 1. It says, and you can see if you don't have the Scriptures, you can look on the screen, the entire council. Let me stop for a minute. Because we tend to read the Scriptures and we go through it real quick and we, do, we miss things. The entire council. These would be the people who ought to know God's Word. We'd say the Bible, though they didn't have the Bible like we do. They would know God's Word. In their case, the Old Testament. They would know it better than anyone else. These are the people who have heard what God has said. They're people like... You and I, if you've been going to church for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, there are people like you and I. There are people who ought to know God's Word better than anyone else. Okay? These are the religious people of Jesus' day. And yet, they are not people who live according to the words of Jesus Christ. Now, they didn't have His words printed. They heard His words in person. And some, whenever I was in the university, I met students who'd say, if I could see God or Jesus Christ in person, I'd believe it. They saw Him in person. They heard His words. They didn't live His words. These are people who were turned off by the words of Jesus. You know why? Because they didn't want to change. When God speaks to us, when it is His Spirit, He may use somebody like myself. He may just use the Scripture. He may just speak into your consciousness. When the Spirit does, and you know, because it's saying, it's you I'm talking to. This change needs to take place. You need to do this. Whatever it is, when God does that, He's wanting you to change. These people heard Jesus Christ and they did not want to change. They did not want to give themselves to what He had said. And so Jesus is brought before these religious, God-Word-informed people who do not like Him because they do not want to change. Look on the screen. Look at what Jesus said about behavior. Anyone who does not believe in God's Son, Jesus, has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world. That's Jesus, God's light. But people love the darkness more than the light. Jesus. For their actions were evil. In other words, Jesus Himself said in their presence... That your judgment has come upon you because you see, I've come into the world. I am God's light. I am God's Son. I have spoken to you. And I have showed you that your actions are not what God wants. I have spoken and you can sense you're not what God wants. And your judgment has come upon you. And what the answer of all that is, he says, is that because you're evil, you choose not to listen to God. Folks, that's me. That's you. you. That's me in relationship with my wife sometimes when we don't disagree and I want to cling to the evil. Now I know, you ladies are all married to good husbands. I'm not perfect like them. And if I don't hear God, I tend to want to hold on to that evil action instead of making amends and saying I'm sorry. You see, Jesus is trying to tell them through these words, That their judgment has already come because they refuse to move as God wants him to move to accept the change. They're they're, they're the people who are saying, don't tell me how to live, Jesus. They would be the people today who would say, don't tell me to live and love like Jesus. They are the people who would say, I just want you to be quiet because I do not want to change. That is the situation that Jesus is in. He's around people who their life's action has demonstrated they do not want to do what God would want them to do. So before we go on, let's just bow together. I want to pray. Father, I just I thank You for the privilege of being here. I thank You for the privilege of, of just handling Your Word. And God, I pray for Your... Your help in that. And I pray that today You will reveal to all of us the real self we are. That God, You would let us see the truth. You would help us to see the truth. Father, You would just take the blinders off our spiritual eyes. That our minds would be open. That God, You would help us to see these people of the Bible. And that Father, we would recognize if we are acting like them. And that God, we would move to the place where we would want want not to be like they have been. Help us, God, that this may be a study that will Confront us about ourselves. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Look, verse one goes on. Look on the screen. So there at the council took Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor. Okay? The Jews want Jesus dead. We've all if you've been if you've traveled this trip with me, you've known that they want him dead because they don't like what he's saying, because what he's saying is they need to change, and they don't want to change, but they need to get permission from the Romans. So they take Jesus to Pilate, the Roman governor. Now let me stop for a minute. Here's a little insight because you see, whenever I was in the university in the 60s, people said things about the Bible, about Jesus, about things and incidences and people in the Bible that, that had been said for a number of years, but there have been investigations and evidences that have proved those statements that I often heard in the university, and some of you might have heard as you grew up, that those statements were false. And one of those statements was this. That the Bible, the New Testament, couldn't be true. And so the story about Jesus isn't true because Pilate never existed. You see, there was no proof of his existence. People who went over to Israel had no proof that Pilate ever existed. So if Pilate never existed, how could Jesus be taken before Pilate, the Roman governor? What is interesting, in 1961, just 53 years ago, which compared to 2,000 years, isn't very long. In 1963, an archaeologist was digging at some steps to a building And found a stone. And on that stone was inscription about Pilate who was procreator of Judea. And you know what had to be done? The books that were written that said this story couldn't be true because Pilate never existed. The papers that were written, they had to be thrown away. And to this day, nobody says Pilate never existed. And there's been more evidence that has been found since 1961. Why do I tell you that? Because some of you are accepting things that are printed on the internet and have been told to your grandparents and their grandparents about the Bible and we didn't have evidence. But so much in the 1900s, the 20th century has been discovered because there has been a proliferation of archaeology, archaeological digs in the Middle East that gives Credence. So that we can have confidence in the reliability of God's Word. You can go over to Israel if you want to spend the money. And you can, in their museum, look at Pilate's Stone. That's what they call it. The Pilate Stone. But until 1961, anybody who didn't want a change so they didn't want to believe in Jesus, said there's no proof. And so he's brought before Pilate. A real person. Now let me say something. Look at the first blank on your worship handout. I want you to remember this. When people fill in that blank, when people do not want to change, they refuse to believe the truth. Do you? That's what these people did back then. They didn't want to believe Jesus was the truth. That's what people said when they said Pilate never existed, so the Bible, the New Testament, is just a myth. And that's what people say today. When people do not want to change, they will refuse to believe the truth. Don't you tell me God's speaking to me. It's just you, and your name is Mike Davis. And yet you know. Because see, even when you're not with Mike Davis, and you're alone, God talks to you. And when you might try to read the Bible somewhere by yourself, God speaks to you. And when you go to a connect group, God speaks to you. Folks, that's why some people don't want to come to a situation like this that we call church. That's why. that's why sometimes you don't want to go to connect group. You don't want God to speak to you. You don't want to read the Bible. Your emotional attitude is, I don't want any of that. Because you see, all God wants to do is change you. The Creator wants you to live your potential that He has for you. And sin seeks to keep you from that. Well, let's go on. Verse 2. They began to state their case before Pilate. This man, that's Jesus, has been leading our people astray. In other words, what the religious leaders are saying is Jesus is leading in a direction we don't think we want to go. That's what they're saying. He's leading our people astray, they said. You see, they, they want vengeance because they don't like what Jesus is telling them ought to be happening in their life. you ever get mad at the pastor? Thank you. Who's the liar out there? You ever get mad at your mate when they speak God's truth in your life? You ever get mad at your connect group leader? So you ever get mad when somebody speaks God's truth? They want revenge because they don't want to hear what Jesus is saying. So what do they say? They, they, they tell Pilate, He's misleading the people. That's their opinion. Let me ask you this. In your opinion. In your opinion. Is Jesus misleading you because He asked you to stop? Whatever it is. Does Satan tell you you don't have to stop? Jesus is misleading you. Or the person He's speaking through is manipulating you. Do you also think Jesus is misleading because He speaks to you about your marriage? He talks to you men about your wife seeks tenderness and you need to let go of that hard harshness? That's the way your dad was. But is He misleading you because He tells you? Is He misleading you ladies, you wives, because He says you ought to be honoring your husband? But you see... Women have a right. I believe that. But that doesn't mean you don't honor your husband. Is Jesus misleading you when He talks to children, whether they're young children or older children or adult children, to honor your parents? Is He misleading your parents or your children? See, we tend to think God's misleading me when He asks for my time, when He asks for my energy, when He asks for my effort. Come on! You're misleading me in a direction that I don't think I need to go. That's what these people are saying. You see, you read this. Many of you have read these, this chapter, these words, and yet it just goes off. And you don't realize you're not thinking Jesus is misleading in a political way. You just think He's misleading because He asked you to stop. You think He's misleading because He's asking you to do. And you don't want to change. We don't want to change. I've said it before. First two years of my marriage, my wife, she would speak into my life. I'm in rebellion. And I just say to her, you just think you're a little Jesus. See, because I didn't want to hear what she said. Because I didn't want to change. You just think you're a little Jesus. Do you think Jesus is misleading you, men and women, young people, when He's asking you to change? Now look what they said. They, said, they go on in verse 2. This man has been misleading our, mis, had been leading our people astray by telling them not to pay their taxes to the Roman government. Now folks, they're not telling the truth. But when you want vengeance, you don't deal in truth. And I don't care if you want vengeance against your mate, you want vengeance against somebody who God has used to speak to you. When you want vengeance, you don't deal in truth. Getting your vengeance, getting your way, that's what's important. Truth is second. So let's just look back. Look on the screen. Luke said earlier, this is what he said. Watching for their opportunity. Luke 20, we're in 23... Chapter 20, he said, "...watching for their opportunity, the leaders sent spies pretending to be honest men." I like that. Spies pretending. They couldn't just be spies who were honest men. They were pretending to be honest men because what they want to do, they want to get Jesus for something he's doing wrong because they want to be able to come before the Romans and say, this guy is doing treason, plotting treason. That's execution. He should die. So they tried to get Jesus. Look, They're not honest guys. They don't care about truth. They're just trying to ask questions and get Jesus to say something that could be reported to the Roman governor so he would arrest Jesus. Okay? Again, I'm going to say, people who want vengeance don't deal with truth. They deal only with their rationale. I'm doing what I'm doing because I want to get to the truth that I want. I want to get my way. Now he goes on, 21, teacher, they said, we know that you speak and teach what is right and are not influenced by what others think. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, verse 22, now tell us, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Okay? Now they've already said later that he said they don't need to pay taxes to the Roman government, okay? Now look, verse 23. He saw through their trickery. Jesus knows what they're doing. You know why He knows? Because He's God. See? He's the God-man. He saw through their trickery and said, Show me a Roman coin. Whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well, then He said, Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. So you see, He's saying, You give to Caesar his taxes, and you give to God his offerings. His tithes. That's all Jesus is saying. 26, so they failed to trap Him by what He said in front of the people. Instead, they were amazed by His answer and they became silent. Now you see, if they want vengeance, they don't care about truth. Because as I showed you, just three chapters before verse, chapter 23, Jesus said, you pay your taxes. But three chapters later in chapter 23 where we are, they're telling the Roman government They're standing. These are the religious people. These are the leaders of the religious people. And they're standing before the Roman governor and they're telling a lie. They're saying he's leading the people astray, telling them not to pay taxes to the Roman governor. But you see, when you want vengeance, please hear this. When you want vengeance, you don't care about truth. You care about being right. getting your way. That's why I'm going to tell you now, if you're a Christian, if Jesus Christ is Lord, you're a follower of Jesus, you get alone, and you wanted vengeance towards your mate or you wanted vengeance towards someone else, God will speak to your mind. And He'll tell you, you need to go back and you need to sound sorry. You need to make amends. Of course, a lot of us think about doing that. But then when comes time, we don't do it. And we just let it blow over. When you want vengeance, you don't deal in truth. You deal with only what you want. They have no respect for Jesus. He's a he's a liar. He's not of God. So we can hurt him because we want vengeance, and that's what we do when we want vengeance. Well, back to Luke twenty-three. Look at verse two. Go on, goes on. And by claiming he is the Messiah, a king. Now they're saying he he tells don't pay taxes, Roman government, and he's claiming to be. He is the Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked him, Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replied, You have said it. Listen, we need to go back. We're not on it. There you go. No, 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 no. We need to go back to verse 2 in chapter 23. There you go. And by claiming he is the Messiah and a king. So Pilate asked him, that's Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replied, You have said it. Now, Now let me stop. I hate getting into Jewish history with you because I just think we missed the application of the scriptures and, and y'all want to get out here, right? And so I don't go real long. But see, the Jews were looking for a Messiah who would be a political king. And so they're saying Jesus is claiming to be that political king. That's what they're saying. They're telling, they're telling Pilate that because, see, the Roman government wouldn't allow somebody to raise up to be a king. They're in Israel and cause a revolt. And they want Pilate to execute this guy. And what, what Pilate does, he asks Jesus, he says, are you a king? And Jesus replies, you have said it. And so look at verse 4. Pilate turned to the leading priest and to the crowd and said, you ought to underline the next seven words because when you read this passage, that's what you got to understand. Because this comes out again and again in this 23rd chapter, Pilate said, I find nothing wrong with this man. That's what Pilate said. I find nothing wrong with this man. In other words, Pilate's saying, I don't see a troublemaker here. To them, Jesus is a troublemaker. Now, why is He a troublemaker? What does Jesus keep asking people to do? That's it. And you know you just hate for your wife to keep asking you to change, don't you, husbands? You smile and say, give me more. No. And you hate, don't you, wives, when your husband's asking you to change the way God wants you to. And children don't like it when parents ask them to change. Old folks don't like it when the pastor asks them to change. And you see, they don't like this. To them, Jesus is a troublemaker. Pilate is is basically saying, I don't find anything wrong with this guy. He's not a troublemaker. He's not a troublemaker to Rome. He's not a troublemaker to this government. He's not a troublemaker. I don't want to use that word troublemaker. Because you see, that's what we look at people God uses to ask us to change. Why do you bring this trouble into my life? I don't need you to talk to me about how I ought to spend my money. I don't need you to talk to me about how I ought to give my time. I don't need you to talk to me about how I ought to sacrifice. I want to do what I want to do. And when somebody brings Jesus or God into the picture, they become a troublemaker to us. And if we're not careful, we get like these Jews, these religious people. We see it as trouble. And we want vengeance. Pilate doesn't see that. I find nothing wrong with this man. That's going to continue through these 11 verses. Look at verse 5. Then they became insistent. And vengeful people will always become insistent. I'm going to tell you, if you're ever around a vengeful person and you don't get involved with what they want vengeance, they get rather insistent. And they don't even want to talk to you anymore. Am I lying here, folks? This always happens. They don't want to talk anymore. They, become, they became insistent. You see, because all they want is their way. That's what vengeful people are like. All they want is their way. I know whenever I'm being vengeful toward my wife, toward my children, because I'm not concerned about what God wants, I'm only concerned about what I want. And I become insistent. And I will give all the evidence and the arguments for my way. Because you see, I don't want to change. If you know any vengeful people, They become insistent. He goes on. But He is causing... Look what they say. But He is causing riots. Verse 5 goes on. He is causing riots by His teaching wherever He goes, all over Judea, from Galilee to Jerusalem. Now I ask you, we're almost two years in this journey in the book of Luke. Has Jesus been speaking words that has caused people to riot? No! No! He's talking about loving your enemies. He's talking about people who mistreat you. You ought to pray for them. He's talking about people who curse you. You ought to bless them. But you see, people who want vengeance, they don't deal in truth. And so they're telling these lies. He's causing trouble all over. And you know if you've been traveling with us for two years, that is a a lie. Goes on in verse six. Oh, because they said all over Judea, from Galilee to Jerusalem. Oh, Pilate says, Oh, he is a Ga- he is from Galilee. He's a Galilean. Pilate said, or he asked when they said that he was. Pilate sent him to Herod Herod Antipas. Now Herod is a Jew. He's a leader of the Jews in the Galilean area. Now, if you've been with me, this is Israel, okay, and up north is Galilee. Then there's Samaria, and then there's the lower part of Israel where Jerusalem was at. Galilee's in the northern part, Jerusalem's in the southern part. If you live in Jerusalem, you're a good Jew. If you live in Galilee, you're not quite as good Jew. If you live in Samaria, well, don't you don't want those people moving next door to you, okay? The good Jews didn't like the people in Samaria. They were a mixture of Jews and other people. And so Pilate down here in Jerusalem says, oh, Herod's in town. And Herod's in town because it's a Passover. We know that because of what the Bible tells us about the season. And so Herod comes to Jerusalem for Passover. Good Jew! And so Pilate says, oh, he's a Galilean? And Pilate sent him to Herod Antipas because Galilee was under Herod's jurisdiction and Pilate happened to be in Jerusalem at that time. Get me. Here's what it is. Pilate finds a way to not have to make a decision. He finds a way to pass the buck. I don't want to talk about this now. You just go on. When we don't want to change, when we don't want to hear truth, that's what we do. We find a way to... i, I got to go to work, Laura. Leave me alone. Listen, I would tell her... You all go on to bed early in our marriage. You just go on to bed. I want to talk about this. See, I want to pass the buck. I didn't want to deal with truth. I didn't want to change. See, and that's what what Pilate... Pilate doesn't want to change because Pilate doesn't find anything wrong with Jesus and the change is this. He's already been threatened. We know by history. A couple times already, the emperor has told him, if you have any trouble there in, in Judea, I'm going to remove you. He eventually was removed. Okay? That's history. That's Roman history. And you see, Pilate doesn't want to change. He doesn't want to say to these guys, I'm telling you, get out of here. There's nothing wrong with Jesus. So he tries to pass the buck. Just like sometimes we don't want to change. And so we find a way to pass the buck. And that's what he's doing. He's just passing the buck at that time in making a decision that needs to be made in his life. Look at verse 8. Herod was delighted at the opportunity to see Jesus. Hey, man, he sent Jesus to Herod. Herod says, "Who? this a Nazarene? This is Joshua from Galilee? The Nazarene? Bring him in! Look what it says. Because he, Herod, had heard about him, Jesus, and had been hoping for a long time to see him. He wanted to be around Jesus. Jesus came to town. You'd want to be there, wouldn't you? Why? Why did Herod want to see him? What? He wanted to see a miracle. Herod doesn't want to see Jesus for truth. Herod wants to see Jesus for truth. For what he can get. Do you hear me? That's all he wants. I'll come to church as long as I keep getting something. I'll serve as long as I feel I'm getting something. I'll give my money as long as I'm getting something. It has nothing to do with who the Lord is, it has everything to do with how I evaluate. That's what Herod is doing. Herod is just curious about Jesus because he heard, you know, when this guy's around, man, the supernatural gets suspended. And I want to see this. It's sort of like this. I'm going to come to church today because I need a healing. See, I'm going to have surgery Wednesday. So I told God this morning, I'm going to church today because God, I want you to heal me. That's what Herod is doing. You see, it's it's like this. You know, God, I'm I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna talk to you because my child's sick unto death in the hospital. I mean, I don't have time, I don't have time to do anything for you because my life's so full with my activities, but my child's sick unto death, so I want Jesus, I, I want to see him because I want him to do something for me. See, that's what Herod is. And and, and that's an illustration of us. I'm not willing to take a stand for Jesus when I don't get something. I'm not willing to sacrifice when I don't see it's to my benefit. But it is to bring glory to his church. And we're no different than Herod. You know know what? Jesus is supposed to be on trial here. But you know who is who's on trial? Herod's on trial. So when, when Pilate sends Jesus to Herod, Herod says, boy, bring him on in. I want to see this guy. I've been wanting to see him for a long time. Because I want to see what he can do for me. Look, like it goes on. Verse 9. He asked Jesus question after question. But Jesus refused to answer. You see, Jesus does not respond to Herod because Herod isn't looking for truth. Herod is looking just for self. What I can get. You know, know, the, the times I think I honor God the best is when I don't want to come. When I don't want to talk with somebody. When I don't want to read the Bible. When I just don't want to have to buckle down and think about making prayer more meaningful. Not just a litany of, Phrases and words that I've learned from other people. I think that's when my Lord looks and he sees it's not all about me, it's all about him. See, he doesn't even talk to Herod. Because you see, Jesus knows all Herod does is he wants something. Not truth, he wants something. Hey, that's a a good miracle, Jesus. By the way, could you? Wow, I like that miracle. Hey, would you? Herod doesn't want truth. So Jesus doesn't talk to him. Look at verse 10. Meanwhile, the leading priests and teachers of religious law stood there shouting the accusation. See, it's just not Herod and Jesus. There's those vengeful people. And what do they do? Vengeful people will always be heard. You know, go down to the courthouse. You can hear them, right? They're talking about the teacher at school. They're talking about their employer. They're down at the courthouse on the lawn talking about that person. No. You want to know where you can find them at? Go to Hardee's and McDonald's and hear the gossip. Or get with the ladies and hear the gossip in their circles. Or if you really want to hear it, get on Facebook. And I hope I hope God's pointing a finger right at you if you're doing that. See, I shouldn't say those things because all I want is to have every chair filled, and you're going to get mad at me and not come back. You see, those people are there, and they're going to make sure they're heard. I remember a time when vengeful people struck out at me. And I tried to explain something once and oh, 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 I just didn't say anything else. And I received what was not right and what was not just. But I'm going to tell you what, God knows whenever that, whoa, whoa, whoa put me down. I just said, it's in your hands, God. But I'm going to tell you, you can't, you can't stop a mob that is full of engines. And so God it was in His hands and He just blessed me And I have seen how He has brought some great new experiences into my life. You see, vengeful people will always be heard. But God is faithful. I want you to understand. You be the kind of mate God wants you to be. You handle your money the way God wants you to handle it. You talk to your children the way God wants you to talk to your children. You respond to your parents the way God wants you to respond to your parents. You be the employer or the employee that God wants you to be. You be the church person that God wants you to be. And He's always faithful. He is always faithful. He will lift you up. All He's looking for people who humble themselves before Him. That's not Pilate. That's not Herod. That's definitely not these people who know the Bible. Verse 11. Then Herod, I mean, we only get two or three verses. Herod and Pilate, I mean, Herod and Jesus. because You see, Herod wants something for himself. Jesus, not he's not the trick monkey that you're going to get him to do. He just speaks truth. Truth brings change into our lives. Pilate doesn't want, I mean, Herod doesn't want truth. And so we just get two or three uh, verses, and then look what it says in 11. Then Herod and soldiers. They said, okay, you're you're the king, the Messiah of the Jews. Go your way. No, look what they did. They got caught up with the people who were full of engines. Then Herod and his soldiers began mocking and ridiculed Jesus. You ever been with somebody who was full of engines, and pretty soon you're making statements that aren't completely true about the people that are full of engines, And you start hurting people by telling things that aren't completely true? And you will back it by saying things? Herod and his soldiers began mocking and ridiculing Jesus. They began making fun of Jesus. I'm going to tell you, it's the same thing. <laughs> you're a miracle worker, and you can't get out of the hands of these lousy people right here. They began mocking Jesus. They began saying, come on, if you're, if you're God's son, then get some angels to help you. They began ridiculing Jesus. I'm going to tell you, we do that today, because here's what I think we do today. You see, when somebody talks to us as God would want us to be talked to, we tend to want to pass the buck, so we say this: "Hey, just cool it. Don't take life so serious. I'm okay." That's what we tend to say. I'm okay. Just cool it! Don't be so serious. Well, look, it goes on in verse 11. Finally, they put a royal robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. In other words, (laughs) here are these two men of power, Pilate and Herod, and they both agree on one thing, that Jesus is not a troublemaker. But they can't stand up to the pressure of those people who want vengeance they're not willing to face the fire of truth. And so Herod, his soldiers, they send Jesus back to Pilate. When Jesus refused to be used by Herod, Herod refused to have anything to do with Jesus. When your money runs short, And you say, Jesus, I need more money. And He refuses to give it to you. Do you run away? When Jesus refuses to be used, do you have nothing to do with Him? Jesus, I want you to save my marriage. But you see, your mate is not going to allow that. And your marriage ends in divorce. Do you have nothing to do with Jesus? When He refuses to be used by you, do you have nothing to do with Him? You see, Herod wanted to use Jesus. When Jesus wouldn't do anything for him, he refused to be involved with Jesus. Look at the next blank on your message or in your worship handout. When being around Jesus no longer serves our purpose, we tend to pull away instead of becoming involved in what Jesus would want. That's so true. We can see it here with Pilate when he passes the buck, sends Jesus Herod. We can see it with Herod and his soldiers when they're excited to see Jesus, but now they send him back to Pilate. I want you to go back to verse 8. I want you to go back to verse 8. I'd like you to underline or circle it all however you want to do it in your Bible. Verse 8. Please don't miss this. Verse 8. Underline all of it or circle it. Look at verse 8. Herod was delighted. I wanted to get into Greek with all of verse 8, but just to much time. All it means is, man, he's got a smile on his face and he's got great expectation. Jesus, the Nazarene, the miracle worker, is going to be in my presence? Herod was delighted at the opportunity to see Jesus because he had heard about Him and he had been hoping for a long time to see Him perform a miracle. Circle that, because when you read this passage, I want you to read, Pilate could find nothing wrong with him because Herod and Pilate couldn't. That's throughout the first 11 verses. But I want you to see what this confrontation is. In verse 8, Herod is so excited to go to church. He's so excited to read the Bible. He's so excited to be around Christian people. He's so excited to start attending a connect group. He's so excited to hear the teachings. Great expectation. Great expectation. Because you heard, I heard Jesus change that man and that woman and that guy and that family. I heard Jesus help that person. I heard that person give a testimony that an addiction was broken because of Jesus. I heard that person talk about they found freedom with their finances because of submitting it to what Jesus would want. I heard this about Jesus. See, I know I'm putting our situation in here. Y'all you, you catch that? Great expectation. But look at verse 11. Go to verse 11. Underline the first ten words. The first ten words when you read this passage. Then Herod and his soldiers began mocking and ridiculing Jesus. Here is two emotional positions. Two intellectual positions. Verse 8 is this. Oh, I'm so excited to be where Jesus is at. Because I've heard Jesus can make my family better. I've heard Jesus can make my life better. I'm so excited! That's the first intellectual position. Verse 8. But verse 11 is rejection of Jesus. Why? Because you see, it's not about Your family getting better. It's not about change taking place or it's about this good thing happening in your life. It's about whether you will follow Jesus let Him change you. Because when He changes you, He will impact your family. When He changes you, He will help things get better. See, verse 8 and verse 11 are so strategic to understand this. One great expectation... Yeah, I'll go to church with you. But after one week, two months, hey, why don't you come back to church? You are coming right I just don't want to go anymore. Rejection. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of us have this kind of false start. We, 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 we get excited about Jesus one time, but a week later or weeks later or months later, we just say, you know, I, I just don't want. And that's what what Herod was doing. It's no different today than what happened 2,000 years ago. Except his name was Herod. Today, the name is Mike. Or Laura, my wife. Or your name. Do you remember that time? You had great excitement, great expectation. Boy, sign me up. I won't miss worship. Sign me up, I will be there in connect group. Sign me up, I will study. Sign me up, I'll make time for Jesus. Verse 8. But have you got to verse 11? Now you ridicule Him and you mock Him because the very people He seeks to use in your life you argue with and you get mad at and you really would like to get vengeance at those who speak the truth. Look at the last blank on the worship handout. What a sad thing that Herod was left with the impression that Jesus was just a fraud. That Jesus had nothing to offer him. But sadder yet, look what I wrote, but sadder yet at this time would be for you to take that position. So sad if you take the position of verse 11. And I'm going to tell you again and again, Satan tries to get me and you to take the position verse 11. I invite you to come to Jesus Christ who is Lord. I invite you to remain with Jesus Christ who is Lord. I invite you to follow Jesus Christ, who is Lord. You see, following Jesus, listen to me, following Jesus, living and loving like Jesus, following Jesus, living and loving like Jesus, means you will change. I invite you to let Him bring change into your life where it needs to be brought. Do we have any questions? No questions? we got that money? from? Thank you. Oh, Touch someone's life? Okay. Wow. I appreciate you folks giving $318.42 today. Gosh, that's something. Listen, I would like to ask two people. I'm, when we get over $200, we just put it into two bags. That way people can give it out. I want to get my papers here. I'd like to. Uh, Janice DePlany, would you come up here? And... Uh, Uh, Let's see. Levi, Erwin, would you come up here? Uh, I give him a half sheet of paper. I say this every time. There you go. Thank you, Janice. It just, things we've learned from what people have told us helps him give that money away. Thank you. You you are going to touch somebody this week. If you put any money in there, they're going to walk up to somebody, and that person's probably going to be like this, and they're going to look at that and go, ah! Or that person's going to be like this. And then walk up to that person and go, wow! I mean, stop and think. I tell you, at the right time, walk up to me and give me $20. I challenge every one of you to do this sometime. <laughs> I'll go home and say, hey Lord, 20 bucks." And so we're going to trust at the right time. Listen, God will use this gift. That's why I don't like calling it offering to touch someone's life. Thank You for being a part of that. Let's bow together and then we're finished. Father, I thank You for this day. I thank You for Your Word. and God, I pray. It's almost like the Lego movie, everything is awesome. God, I thank You for the awesomeness of being where You are, where Your Spirit speaks, where Your Word is given authority. Thank You, God, that with You, everything is awesome. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.